people deluded i'm back again welcome back to another edition of the deluded podcast with myself dg there ain't nobody else here i hope you're all doing well and safe on this friday morning people i hope you you continue to stay in good spirits and all those things there as we face what we're facing globally now you lot will always notice, or I don't know if you notice, because I notice it in myself. Whenever the Premier League's back from an international break, I compare my voice and the way I speak the week before to, to now, and I definitely feel a bit more upbeat. I definitely feel more entertained. I definitely feel more excited knowing the Premier League is back. Not going to cap people. We've seen some good games and some interesting moments during this international break, but I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of it. I don't think it should have been done especially with what we're facing globally. I don't think it's the smartest idea to have people flying about unnecessarily um, with no end goal. You know, the Nations League, you can say it's competitive. We all know it's a marketing tool. There's no Euros or or, or, or World Cup qualifiers, to my knowledge. Forgive me if I'm wrong to be played. So it is what it is. Obviously, if you saw in relation to England, you know, every day that goes by, I question if Southgate is the man for the role. I don't know what his over-reliance on Mason Mount is. I like Mason Mount as a player, but I don't know what his obsession with him is. I don't know what Jack Grealish has done, you know. It's a manager's decision, but it's a bit baffling to play well and then not play twice again um, the next two games. And obviously, he did appear quite rattled in the press conference as well, Southgate. You know, I don't think he, he reached Grealish. And don't get it twisted, if I was a manager, there would be a few players, you know, it's all about trust. So you're not going to let your opinions on players get swayed between their form here and there. And you can't just pick 11 players based on merit, um, based on, sorry, not merit, based on you, your knowledge of them. You can't pick 11 players just based solely on form. You need a balance. I don't get that from, from, from Southgate. I don't think it's a balance of players that are playing well for their club. Yes, Grealish has been in there, but we just spoken about him. Yes, Calvert-Lewin's been called up and things like that. Um, but I think it's just relying on people he knows, really, man. I think Calvin Phillips deserves to be there. But I just think his team is way too negative, you know. You're playing... The way he goes about it, I can't... I can't I, I can't make sense of it. And it's, it's really getting annoying, Southgate being our gaffer, really. And he hit back, to be fair. He hit back at comments. He said, We gave another 220-somethings their debut against Denmark alongside Mason Mount, Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips, who have had four games in the Premier League along with Harry Kane and Rashford up front. So I think we've been pretty bold in many of our decisions over a long period of time. I think we've been top scorers in the World Cup. We were top goal scorers in the Euro qualifiers and we've been to two semi-finals. We've blooded, many, we've blooded any number of young players. I suppose I would point to that body of work, but it's for others to have that opinion. I'm not really too concerned. I leave the camp frustrated that two decisions have cost us the game against Denmark. But in the end, I'm so proud of what the players have done and the way they've been across 10 days. They're a joy to work with. They are growing in resilience. They know how the level of training has to be every day. They know what's expected of each other. They fight and dig for each other. And their performance with 11 and with 10 against Denmark was very mature. And in my opinion, a very high level. Um... Fair enough, you know, you were top goal scorers, but we're not playing with any real fluidity. We don't really see a system. We don't really see building blocks. We just see a bit of randomness, really and truly. And, you know, we're, again, he has to experiment, see who's at it. That's why I don't mind some of these call-ups and some of these decisions. But it doesn't look like there's a way of playing a central core of players and then we move from there. It doesn't look like there's freedom within a framework. It just simply looks like Southgate is winging it. 
but fair play to him his way is you know it's in my best interest for you to succeed because i want england to bring home the euros do i think that's going to happen with the french and the germans etc of course not but one can hope now if you've all seen you know harry Maguire, now it's an interesting one you know man united fans are probably sick to death of that name he started the season terribly you know Yes, clearly off-field pressures have probably affected him. Maybe previously the price tag going into United affected him. This season, you know, it hasn't been well. It's been he's been terrible for club. It's carried it's carried him on to country. You know, when you're playing terrible at club form and and all the scrutiny is on you, sometimes the best thing that can happen is an international. It's a release. It's a different environment. It's continued with it. He's still making mistakes. He's still he still looks he looks like mentally he's going through a lot and. You know, critiquing Harry Maguire, the footballer, is one thing. He's in that environment. We have the right to critique him. It's the same energy. Before he went to Man United, he was the best thing since sliced bread, according to some. So it's the same energy. But at the same time, you know, he is a human. You do think how how longer does it need to go on before he's saved for himself temporarily? Whether, you know, Southgate's always going to stick by his man, whether it's rightly or wrongly for sporting and non-sporting reasons. But, you know, surely it's worth taking him out of the team for club and country now. Man United probably can't afford to do that. You know, regardless what you say about Maguire, he's probably one of the best out of a bad bunch of defenders collectively. And they, they, they realistically, whatever you say about him, you need him, you know. So I don't know how much Oli could take him out of the team and whatnot. But it does seem like he needs that. And whatever you say about the man, I mean about the player, you need to look at him as a man. He's he's a human being, you know. There's no getting away from it. You know, he picked to be a footballer. But, you know, when everything's going right, everything's going amazing. And when everything's going terrible, it's going terrible. And whether I like Harry Maguire or not, I never like to kick a man when they're down. I never like to see somebody failing, to which he is. I would say this to him. He needs to remember in his darkest of times, in his darkest of moments, you know, he's a Premier League winner. He's played Premier League football. He's come through at Sheffield and things. So there is some ability in you. You need to find that deep within and pull back. It's never nice. Of course, I find it funny, you know, him playing terrible. Of course, especially because it's not an Arsenal player playing terrible. But it's sad on a man because he, you, you should be smiling, you know. You're playing for Man United, you're playing for England, you're a professional footballer. You should relish every day at work. And I think he's still like that. But let's be honest, if you're in that situation... You dread it and there's no getting away from it. Like, you know, he's got friends and and family. They're football fans first. So they're probably going to tell him, all right, FNL, mate, you play crap. You know, his, you know him. he's a professional athlete. You know yourself whether you've played good or rubbish. We all know with social media, there's no turning off. For club and country, there's no turning off. Like, sadly, if he, if he types in his own name, right now there won't be too many, too many positive performances or... or, or um, coming up or there won't be too many positive words to be said or positive fan cams, you know. At the end of the day, the only opinion that should matter is his own, you know, as long as he believes in himself and he should only, you know, if, as long as, as poor as you are, if Ole Gullah still believes in you and Southgate still believes in you, together with what I've previously said, said about being a league winner, that's all you need to, that's all you may need to maintain as hard as it is. And I will, obviously, it does raise the question in relation to mental health. Now, I'm not going to lie, as much as I sympathise with Harry Maguire, you know, the way I'm hearing um, Jamie Redknapp and all of these people talk about kind of wrapping up Harry Maguire in cotton wool. I'm not saying it's right. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong because it is the right thing to do. 
but it's interesting hearing the way they speak and how they're you know players that go through the exact same thing you know it's interesting how it changes according according to whatever because Callum Hudson-Odoi wasn't afforded this you know let's look after his mental health neither was Paul Pogba you know there's several neither is Raheem Sterling so it's interesting to hear according to who you are the luxury that that one there affords you know we do have need to have a debate about just accepting that players are human and maybe easing off them a bit maybe footballers in the future um I don't know if there's any training courses but I do think there needs to be training courses around social media not how you necessarily handle it of course you know make sure you don't say dumb stuff etc but you know not looking at it you know potentially not searching your own name doing several things where you know as a footballer there's no turning off you know, you had a good game. It's great. There's thousands of clips, thousands of people atting you. But the same token is there. There's no switching off. You know, so I probably, if I was a baller, I wouldn't have social media, to be fair with you. If people want to talk, let them talk, man. I wouldn't want to want to listen to it at all because, it, you know, it's a madness. But moving away from Harry Maguire from England and staying with England slightly, Marcus Rashford, you know, very disgracefully by the government, his plea to extend free school meals to those most in need, children people, children who cannot decide their reality if they're a grown adult and they've made choice choices in life i do think you should still help people but i could say all right cool they're children children can't help being born into wealth or po poverty every child should have a level playing field and you know if not a level playing field let me at least make sure everyone's got a decent a decent bit of food in their belly you know kids need energy kids need energy for learning you know I, I'm, I'm no scientist and all these things but there is studies you know lack of food lack of breakfast lack of access to fruit and nutrition affects your learning affects your ability to comprehend things you know it's not the be all and then do of course there's probably some smart youths out there that just eat monks to munch breakfast night and dinner but you get the point you know so sad, it was sad to hear that was ex that was um rejected but it's lovely to hear marcus rashford's petition to end child poverty child food po poverty has um and provide free school meals during all school summer holidays all school holidays apologies is nearing 200k names people just a day after it was launched and i mean if you i i don't know i've signed it you know if you if you don't want to sign this then you've got a problem people really and truly if you really can't find the energy to sign a petition to at least make the government listen so children can get breakfast what sort of person are you man i really have to question your morals people um you know because with this obviously marcus rashford's team or marcus rashford's twitter account i highly doubt it's him getting the statistic the, the figures and all that he says um, it will reach 1.5 um, million 7 to 16 year olds who are currently missing out people. And again, you know, 16 you first leave school, we, at the, minimum, the minimum man can get is a decent meal people. 7 year olds people, come on, like 7 year olds. Imagine there's that decent 7 year old who, who wants to be a footballer, but he ain't got money to be buying breakfast and it affects his learning. So he needs to consider something else. It's sad people, you know, how much... Things that are out of your control that contribute as to your standard of life. I think it's sad in life. Is it going to change? I don't know. Um, who knows, man? Uh, moving away from that, though, folks. And you lot know me. I have no place for racism. A man has appeared. Oh, sorry, people. Um, let me scroll down. Um, it was in relation to West Ham and Mo Salah. A West Ham fan has been banned for football from football for three years after pleading guilty to racially abusing Liverpool star Mohamed Salah at a match in January. 
Bradley Twood, 48, appeared in court on Tuesday to answer charges stemming from a January 29th match at the London Stadium. After pleading guilty, he was given a three-year footballing banning order, fined £400 and also ordered to pay a victim's surcharge and costs amounting to £120. So he's he's spending about 500 quid as a result of being an effing twat, you know. So that's an inconvenience, especially at a time with COVID, you know. I have a lot of sympathy. This guy, I genuinely hope he loses his job. I've got no time for racism. I genuinely hope he loses his job. I genuinely hope that people... I never wish that on people, but if you're going to be ignorant, I wish that on you. I'm not going to lie to you. So at a time where, you know, I'm sure he's got family, he's got... He needs to watch his pounds and pennies as we all are. You know, you've now... I have to pay over 100 quid for some as a result of probably three minutes of being an idiot. We know football is mob mentality. You know, if this guy was to stand in front of Mo Salah or anybody of colour or anybody that you can be racist against, yeah, he wouldn't have that energy. We all know that's the that's the greatest gift of football is that we all come together. The greatest curse is that it allows cowards to hide in a mob and say things that they wouldn't say, you know, especially to people's faces. You know, I would rather this guy get a punch in the face, but, you know, a fine is good enough. He's been, you know, he's been fined. People might say that's not enough. Is what it is. You know, three years, people might say that's not enough. It is what it is, you know. It's a shame because his name is going to be plastered and I don't know if you've got children, but they're all going to know their dad's an idiot, you know. And it's sad. You've brought your family's name into disgrace. You've allowed yourself to act like an idiot and, and you're just moving like a muck, really. And now, for at least for three years, um, I've had this debate with people if you can actually ban people from stadiums regardless. It's another for another podcast. But on the face of it, you can't go and watch your beloved West Ham now for a couple of years because you wanted to be an idiot and a coward, people absolute waste man and i bet you this guy will say i'm not racist i got black friends or i got this friend i got muslim friends you know my my grandma grandma my great 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 grandma's boyfriend was muslim was from india of indian descent how could i be racist you lot know when racists are pulled up on stuff they come out with so many stupid analogies and reasons as to why they can't discriminate my care, my, my, my care of my granddad's Indian or, or, from, or from Jamaica. How can I be racist? They come with some idiot stuff, man. So F this guy. Moving on from him and not wasting any more time on ignorance. And, you know, um, in, in Emil... I can't say his name, man. Emilio Salah, you know. Salah, the former Nance, Nance player who sadly lost his life in a car accident. Sorry, apologies. Plane accident, as you remember, a couple of years ago. A man has appeared in court in connection with the plane crash, which obviously killed him. A pre-inquest hearing was told the plane carrying 28-year-old Salah and pilot David Abbotson, Abbotson crashed into the English Channel in January 2019. David Henderson, 66, has pleaded not guilty to offences under the Air Navigation Order in September the full inquest at Bournemouth at Bournemouth Coroner's Court was adjourned until after trial in 2022. And a lot of court cases in general are being delayed um, to 2022 because of COVID. That probably affected it and played for such people. Um, so we'll have to see what happens in that regards. Now, I'm sure you've all seen Gary Neville is forming part of a, an independent sort of board to try and bring regulations into football. Um He's said he's previously said football has proven incapable of governing itself and distributing money fairly. Um, and he's obviously joined forces and, and calling for an independent regulation of the game. He's part trying to form an eight man group, which comprises of former um, board members of several footballing associations and also MPs. You know, some people that make it up include Andy Burnham, David Davis and David Bernstein. 
Um, you know, they're calling it saving the beautiful game manifesto for change. Apparently, the key recommendations are create a new regulatory body for football that is independent of the current structure of the game. Decide on new ways of distributing funds to the wider game based on the funding formula and fair levy payable by the Premier League. I mean, you can't regulate, you know, that sounds like a quality. You can't disagree with that first bit. Moving away from that, set up a new and comprehensive licensing system for the professional game. Review causes of financial stress in English football, including parachute payments and salary caps. Not heard something, but not heard one thing about clamping down on racism and diversity within the game yet, people. Here we go. Implement governance reforms at the FA, which are essential to ensure it is fully independent, diverse and representative of the English football game today. Not to make it a thing about race, but again, I'm sorry, but me as a young black man, you know, I I, I don't, football's a universal game and colour isn't a thing, but me as a young black man, when I hear diversity, when I hear calling for change, I'm pretty sure, forgive me if I'm wrong, if I look at this eight-man team, there isn't going to be one person that necessarily reflects me in today's football. There might be people that I agree with, people that I might come with, but there's no one that directly affects me and that, and with that directly affects football. I say this, you know, we have to call a spade a spade. The new buzzword is diversity, especially in Black History Month. It's all diversity, diversity. What diversity? You know, look at a team like Arsenal. Go and look at the players on the on the pitch, people. You know, and then as you get up the levels from coaching staff to boardroom, you know, the diversity begins to phase out and phase out. Even um, Edu, when Edu put a picture up of how the whole transfer team was working, you know, I was happy because they confirmed the signing of party and it's nothing to do with Edu, Edu. But I looked around and I said, you know, where's the diverse faces? You know, why? Why? What is going wrong? You know, it's. Why aren't they in these positions, you know? Why is it always we're seen as tools, where the tools are the players, but you're not seen in any positions of power? So that diversity one is what grabbed me because I can probably guarantee, the, you know, there's probably one woman, two max, one woman that's on that board is probably a middle-aged white white males with all due respect, you know? that does Again, they need to be represented. They're a part of football, but... You know, that don't that doesn't reflect me really and truly. So that whole diverse stuff and representative of football today is just a buzzword. Either way, it said liaise with support organisations. I don't mind that because you want greater transparency between the fans. I don't mind if they're talking about redistributing funds and all of these things to ensure there's integrity in the game and money goes everywhere that it needs to go. Not sure for salary caps. Personally, people, I don't agree with that. You know, many people calling for salary caps in their own industry wouldn't call for such. And for me, the, what the footballers make are pennies compared to the clubs. Do you think Ozil is going to get 350 grand a week if Arsenal weren't a billion dollar company? realist think about it people we don't see people because maybe it's because the players are the ones in our direct eyesight but you and, and you can call them money grabbers and whatnot but the fact the owners of these clubs you know we've seen it with the way the premier league and these owners are trying to fleece us for matches season tickets during this pandemic there's been several incidences where we've shown we've been see, shown sorry that they lack integrity they just simply don't care about fans you know and footballers earn pennies and at least if anything these footballers are the ones with a closest smidge to reality and let's remember footballers are always killed but who was the first set of 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 sporting individuals clamoring around to donate to food banks physically going around with food banks raising stuff for causes even with what Marcus Rashford is doing you know it's always shut up and and stick on football but if you actually you shut your mouth and see what footballers are doing it'd be decent um 
So in theory, all this stuff he's saying sounds good, people. It all sounds good. But speaking to Sky Sports, Gary Neville said, the principle is that we don't trust that football can govern itself and create the fairest deal, fairest deal for all. Whether that's the Premier League, EFL clubs and non-league clubs or fans. And I will say, is Gary Neville not a co-owner of a football club? Again, that gives him a reason to be at, in the room. But cynics might say, is that not a conflict of interest? Surely it is, people. Who knows? Um... Apparently, it has been proven that over this past six months that football has struggled to bring everyone together and proven to be incapable over a 25-30 year period of transport, transforming the money in the game into something that works for everybody. Um, so, I mean, I can't disagree with that. Apparently, clubs from, the, from League 1, League 2 and the Championship have also turned down the Premier League's 50 million bailout and have told the EFL board that they will decline any help which excludes any of its members. Apparently, the Premier League has offered grants and interest-free loans totaling around 50 million to clubs in League 1 and League 2, but has made no funds available for clubs in the Championship. Apparently, a CEO of a club mem of one of the clubs in the Championship said that it's simply an attempt to create a divide between the Championship clubs and those in League 1 and 2. And it probably is divert and, um, what's the word, um, divide and conquer sort of thing, people. Um... So we'll have we'll have, we'll have to we'll have to see people, but you know it's an it's an in, it's an interesting one as well because if you just look at what the EFL said in a statement on Thursday, they said EFL clubs today have met by division to discuss the conditional offer put forward yesterday by the Premier League in respect to the financial support required as a result of the COVID nineteen pandemic. The need for continued uni unity across the membership base was fundamental to discussions across all three divisions and therefore there was a strong consensus that any rescue package must meet the requirements of all 72 clubs before it can be considered in full. The league has been very clear in its discussions of the financial requirements needed to address its lost gate receipts in 2019-20 and 2020-21 and why EFL clubs are appreciative that a formal proposal has now been put forward. The conditional offer of 50 million falls some way short of this. The EFL is keen to continue discussions with the Premier League to reach an agreement solution that will address the short-term financial needs of all our clubs and allow us the ability to consider the long-term economical effects, economic effects in parallel that specifically look to achieve a more sustainable EFL for the future. Um, which is crazy, people. And 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 some people, I mean, some people have even said, apparently, if you listen to Preston's advisor, Peter Risdell, he said several championship clubs could fold by Christmas unless they get funding people. He said, my guess is there are at least half a dozen clubs that when it gets to Christmas and there's no solution, a number of them may well fold or go into administration, which is crazy, people. Um so, yeah, it's also worth remembering Premier League clubs have rejected Project Big Picture people, which I, you know, I'm happy with, you know, like Arsene Wenger perfectly said, you know, a lot of heat is directed at Manchester United and Liverpool as the two clubs frontlining. And that very well, well be true. But when you look in the details, you know, this has been in the in, in the brinks for a while. It's not two clubs. It's, it's a couple of clubs. And what some clubs have done, because of they've seen the backlash now, they're staying quiet and they're acting like they're not involved now. You know, it's not just two clubs. You know, as much as Liverpool and United might have wanted to make this a reality, we could not have got to this point if 
couple other clubs didn't agree or if they didn't necessarily stand to benefit, didn't mind it, you know. Let's look between the details. But nonetheless, I'm happy Project Big Picture has been rejected because, you know, we know football is elitist. You know, those of you like you, like you lot listening to this and myself, football don't look after us no more. We love football. Whether we're doing season tickets, you know, shirt buying the new shirts, I think more expensive than all of that st stuff, even though we could put our finances elsewhere, our time. We're talking about football all day, every day, whether we win, lose or draw. I'm making videos. I'm making podcasts. I love football for what it's worth. You know, football is so football is elitist. You know, we can't, you know, half the time that honest Arsenal fan has been supporting the team for, for how many years. He can't go and watch Arsenal in the FA Cup at Wembley because everything is set up against him to get a ticket unless he knows someone that can do a thing for him, you know. Football is football's forgotten about us, but still at some level, I took pride in that football is a level playing field. It don't matter your race, your your, your religion, you know, your social status, your skin colour, you know. If you are the better team on that day, on that pitch, you win. And I think, you know, with Project Big Picture, it takes away from that. It, it, you know, it, it's, I'm an Arsenal fan, so at some level, I, I stood to, to kind of benefit from this if it was implemented. But we don't deserve to be things handed to us. It just screamed of... The big six are going to bully up the thing. They're just going to be able to focus on commercial because, you know, if they want, if any of these clubs, we all want our clubs to be the envy of the world or the league. If you want that, achieve it on the sporting front and everything takes care of themselves. It seems like several clubs want the benefits that come with that without actually doing it. And it just seems like the top six would lobby and bully everybody and just, you know, further move them away when... I like that the Premier League is, you could call it competitive, you know. Leicester got smacked one week against West Ham. They smacked Man City the other week. Do you get it? Everyone can beat everyone. There's been a new winner in sorts. You know, one of the hardest things is to retain the Premier League. In terms of entertainment, it's amazing, you know. Aggression, intensity, randomness. These are all things that the Premier League has over every league. Actual quality is another debate. Um, but I don't think this would have been good, man. So I'm happy to see it's been rejected, people. Um, it should it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. Um, so we'll have to see, man. We'll really we'll really have to see um, what happens, man. Project big for what it's worth. Project big picture would have seen a two hundred and fifty rescue fund given to the EFL and twenty five percent of all future revenues with the top flight simmed down to eighteen teams. People, which again, I know many people are not necessarily not against trimming the the amount of teams in the league, which I've heard plenty of reasons for plenty of reasons against people so it's an it's an interesting one depending on how you look at it, look at it we've been speaking about a lot of stuff people but i guess now it's time to get into the premier league and you know the premier league is back with a bang hopefully we can finally see a merseyside derby that lives up to expectations liverpool and everton fans listening please don't kill me but you lot know that has been one overhyped derby for many years now I hope with Carlo Ancelotti's new team and the way they're playing and, and, you know, Klopp should feel that there's a target on their back. Every team wants to see them fail. I hope the floodgates open and I hope it's a great game for the neutrals, man, you know. Ever Everton have been very good since the season started. Not perfect, still a bit shaky defensively. Um, would love Ben Godfrey to start. I think he's a dark horse to go to the Euros personally. Um but I'm keen to see, man, you know, can Hammers do it in the big games? Can Decore make the difference in the big games, you know? Are Liverpool still at it? Can they bounce back? Do you get it, people? It's going to be an interesting one. Very rarely do you get to say this is first versus fifth and Liverpool are the team fifth. You know, you can't complain from an Everton perspective. Four games played, four victories, 12 points. Liverpool are with four games played, three wins. Obviously, that crazy Villa game makes them at nine points, you know? So it's an interesting one, you know? Looking at the top four, I'm sure... 
You know, someone would probably put a tenner on this and the season isn't finished, but Everton's first, Villa's second, Leicester's third and Arsenal fourth. You know, I remember the days when people say, you know, death taxes and Arsenal finishing fourth. I'll, I'll give my life for them days again. Um, so I'm keen, keen to see what game that is. And that kicks off our Premier League action this week. For what it's worth, Everton are winless in 19 Premier League meetings with Liverpool, losing eight and drawing 11 since winning 2-0 in October 2010. With that being said, Liverpool are unbeaten in their last 22 meetings against Everton in all competitions. Um, against no side have they ever had a longer run without defeating their history. They've also got 22 against Aston Villa from 1981 to 1992. And, you know, Villa ended that, you know, Villa, the team in question, you know what happened the last time them two teams played. Seven of the last eight Premier League meetings between the two between the two teams, people have finished level with Liverpool winning the other one nil. Sorry, people, yeah, have finished level with Liverpool winning the other one nil in December 2016. The last three Premier League meetings between the two sides have finished nil nil. No specific fixture in top flight history has ever finished goalless goalless in four consecutive matches before. So statistically, I was backed up in saying that was one overhyped derby right now. Apparently, this is the first top-flight Merseyside derby with Everton starting the day top of the table since September 1981 when Liverpool won 3-1 at Goodison Park thanks to goals from Ian Rush, who bagged two, and a certain John Barnes. So we're seeing what that, that game has to say. Southampton are always capable of some unknown. 7th place Chelsea welcome 11th place Southampton. Southampton have won two games this, this season so far and also lost two. Chelsea have suffered one defeat, drawn one and also won two. They're still suffering from teething problems as a result of the mass changes they made. And there's still question marks over Lampard. But you'd expect Liverpool, I mean Chelsea, apologies to get three points if you could say that. Chelsea have won seven of their last nine Premier League meetings with Southampton, losing one and drawing one. Um, saying that though, they did lose this exact fixture last season, which hopefully remains to be the case when Southampton play them as well. Come on, Southampton. You know, we've got our boy Theo Walcott back on loan at Southampton, so go do your thing. And he's not my lad, but Carl Walker Peters, a Spurs lad. You know, Theo and Carl Walker Peters, if you play, you know, you lot are London lads. Well, I say London, Theo, you're adopted London, you know, based on it right now. I think he is he from London. I think Phil might be from London, but either way, you know, I want you to go and want to put one over Chelsea. Who doesn't? You know, following their two 0 victory at Stamford Bridge last season, Southampton are looking to pick up back to back away victories against Chelsea for the first time in the league since 1985. Chelsea have won seven of their last eight Premier League home matches, losing one, netting 18, conceding four, and keeping five clean sheets. Since the start of last season, no side has conceded fewer home goals in the Premier League than Chelsea. 18, excluding the Premier League clubs and promoted clubs. Apologies. Southampton are, are looking to win three consecutive Premier League games for the first time since a run of four in May 2016. So again, they're trying to put a run of games together. So let's see what happens in that regard. Um, <clears throat> On Monday, you've also got Leeds versus Wolves, which, you know, the Helder Costa Derby, 8th place Wolves versus 13th place, um, f sorry, 13th place Wolves versus 8th place Leeds. You know, that's a good game for the neutrals. I'm sure we all rock with Bielsa um, and we all got a lot of time for Nuno. Um, you know, I don't. the only guy I don't like at Leeds is their goalkeeper who racially abused Jonathan Lico. So I wish the worst on him in whatever regards he does. But big up Leeds, you know, big up Calvin Phillips, very good player. You know, someone who I think, will get a move, whether Leeds stay up or down, especially as he keeps playing for England. 
Apparently, Leeds have lost three of their last four home Premier home league games. Apologies against Wolves. Wolves have won their last three league meetings with Leeds. This is just the second Premier League campaign in which Leeds and Wolves are facing off after both being relegated in 2003-04. After losing their first home game at Liverpool on their return to the Premier League, Leeds are now unbeaten in their last three games. Wolves have won just two of their nine Premier League meetings played on a Monday, beating Sheffield United in September um, 2-0 and in July beating Crystal Palace 2-0. So again, that might be a bad omen for Wolves and should give Leeds some confidence. Going to Ellen Road isn't going to be easy. On Monday as well, people, you've also got West Brom against Burnley, which again isn't the most glamorous of fixtures. 17th place West Brom against 18th place Burnley. Um, Bilic, you know, Bilic, I always want him to do well because he's such a character. Apparently, West Brom are winless in four Premier League games this season, losing three and drawing one. Relegation candidates, um, you know. And also, interestingly, West Brom are 17th and Burnley are 18th coming into this match, while the bottom two sides, Sheffield and Fulham, are also facing each other today. This is the first time bottom four Premier League clubs have faced off one against one each one another on the same day in the Premier League since the 13th of September 2014. West Brom have conceded 13 goals in four games this season, you know, which is quite poor. And again, if they want to stay up, going to need to shut up shop. Um, prior to their, prior to winning 2-1 in their last away meeting with West Brom in March 2018, Burnley had lost nine of their last 10 league visits to the Hawthorns. West Brom have lost just one of their last six Premier League meetings with Burnley, although it was the last time they met in the competition in 2018, people. Make of that what you will. Leicester play Aston Villa people and that's it. That's due to be an interesting one. You know, Villa firmly, firmly sit in the top four right now in second place. Leicester are third. So it's a top half clash right now. Wonder what that game is going to have. That's a good game for the neutrals. Leicester have won four of their last five Premier League meetings with Aston Villa. Aston Villa have won just one of their last 11 away to Leicester. None of Leicester's last eight Premier League meetings have been drawn with the Foxes winning four and losing four. Villa are looking to win their first four Premier League games um, in the campaign for the first time since 1930-31 when they scored a record of 128 goals within a single top season but finished second to Arsenal. So if that means Arsenal are going to win the league, why not people? Also worth mentioning, Aston Villa are unbeaten in their last seven Premier League games people so they've got a bit of a run going and whatnot. Sheffield United will face Fulham and Sheffield United has not been the best of seasons, you know, 19th versus 20th Fulham. Both teams need to get it together, people. Um, it's, a, it's, it's as simple as that, people. Um, London clubs have lost each of their last 10 Premier League visits to face Sheffield United at Bramall Lane. Fulham have won both league meetings with Sheffield. The last time the teams faced each other in 2017-18 was in the Championship. The home time, the home side, apologies, has won both previous Premier League meetings between the two sides. Um, so we're keen to see what that one has. Um, Sheffield have lost their last seven Premier League games. They've never lost eight league games in a row in their history. And they need to bounce back. All very, I don't want it to happen. But, you know, as much as they love Chris Wilder and he's done great things, you know, football's a fickle business. You know, eight vict- eight defeats, you know, even seven defeats. Another uh, Another manager at another club loses their role without a doubt. Um, so the question marks are going to start to be asked of Chris Wilder and his men if they don't show an improvement starting on the weekend. 
Newcastle against Manchester United and I'm sure Man United just want to win and, and shut up shop. You know, Newcastle are probably buzzing. They've they've uh, made St. Maximum sign a new six-year deal. It's going to be an interesting game and obviously I hope Newcastle win. Newcastle have won two of their last three Premier League home meetings against Manchester United. Man United lost this fixture 1-0 last season. They've not lost back-to-back -back games away to Newcastle since 1987. This is also the first time Newcastle are facing Manchester United in the Premier League game while above them in the table since December 2013 when they won 1-0. Newcastle have had fewer shots on target than any other side in the Premier League this season. However, they've netted six goals, meaning they've scored with a league-high 70, 75% of their attempts on target so far. Man United's defence has been poor. They didn't sign the centre-half. You know, they've got no coach that can coach them defensively, so is it any surprise? Manchester United have shipped 11 Premier League goals so far this season, with only West Bromwich Albion with 13 conceding more. It's the second most the Red Devils have ever, Red Devils, apologies, have ever conceded in three games in a Premier League season. Um, so again, negative statistics, which doesn't make for good reading um, at all. You've also got Spurs against West Ham, a London derby kicking off at 4.30 on Sunday. You know, interesting ones, you know, I'm sure a big talking point is Gareth Bell. He's back in training. Jose said they're going to manage him well. I think he's going to be a great addition or re-addition to the Premier League. I don't think it's going to be the same Gareth Bell necessarily breezing man out on the flanks. I still think he's going to... Still outpace people, but I think his game's going to change. I think he's going to play more inside. I think he's going to find more half a yard for himself, more link-up play. I think he's going to bag, you know. He's a great player. I think he's going to do well, you know, at least for now until his form dictates as to whether he's been a good signing or not. It gives the fan the fans aren't in the stadium, but it gives the fans a lift. It gives the players a lift. You know, we've got Harry Kane. We've got Son. Now we've got a world-class, top-class player in Gareth Bell. You know, it all depends as to how fit he is, you know, his true level. And down to Gareth Bell to prove the critics wrong, you know. I'm keen to see as a neutral what he's on. I'm keen to see how you fit them in because for once, Spurs have good problems. How do you get Kane, Son, Ndombele, Bale into the same team? Who misses out? What sort of changes do you want to make? You know, you've also got that Benfica striker on the bench. Right now, he's a plan B. What happens when he gets chances? And I hope it don't happen in Spurs, but if he gets chances, he starts bagging. You know, as a manager, you want good problems. You know, a lot is said about Levy and spending money. Definitely for me under Pochettino, I didn't see a window like this um, sort of thing in that you're trying to address all areas. Jose can't complain. Yes, Spurs squad isn't perfect. Yes, it's, you know, there's still problems that persist. But Levy's got his finger out and, and addressed almost every... I'd say only centre-half, probably, if I was a Spurs fan, an area I'd be looking at, you know. Bale coming back on loan is a madness. You know, they've signed a backup striker, you know. Even Bale could have played up there. So, immediately, the pressure isn't on Kane as much um, and have to overplay him. So, it's fully on Jose this season, in my opinion. For what it's worth though, Tottenham have won both Premier League meetings with West Ham last season. They last won three in a row against West Ham with a run of five from 20, 2008 to 2009, March of 2008 to December of 2009. Only Fulham with seven have won, I'm sorry, have West Ham won more Premier League away games than they have against Spurs. Spurs have lost just three of their last 27 home London derbies in the Premier League, which is quite a good statistic. West Ham have lost seven of their last nine league London derbies since the start of last season. Tottenham are winless at home so far this season, scoring just once and conceding twice. Um, this is a stark contrast to their away form, which, is, which has seen them win both games by an aggregate score of 11-3. 
Now, obviously, that battering Man United obviously sways that statistic. Um, but that's a weird one. I'm sure, you know, home form is central. I remember a season Spurs had a good year where um, they didn't lose that White Hart Lane. And they, I think they got top four. It was that year where you really saw their back four, or whatever it was, with the two Belgium lads in Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen. You know, Kyle Walker was really playing well at Spurs and as was Danny Rose. You know, that's the sort of form that sees you get top four. Um, you've also got Crystal Palace against Brighton people. Um, Graham Potter against Roy Hodgson's men. Crystal Palace are looking to secure consecutive league victories against Brighton for the first time since September 2011. Um, Brighton have lost just one of their five top flight away games against Crystal Palace. At just 31%, Crystal Palace have the lowest average possession in the Premier League, while they've also played the highest percentage of long passes so far in the Premier League at 19%. Having won their opening two Premier League games this season, Crystal Palace have since lost their last two in the competition by an aggregate score of 1-6. to Brighton have lost their last two Premier League games, last losing three in a row in December 20, November 2019. Apologies. And saving the best till last. Hopefully we win. Master versus Apprentice. Fourth versus 14th. Never would I have thought Man City would be 14th and Arsenal would be 4th. Arsenal against Man City. Last one there in 2015. You know, our way, for, our, our way form against the top six or just our form in general against the top six is one of the components that's going to form a cocktail as to whether we're going to get top four. Positive or negative cocktail. We know holding leads. We know clean sheets, not drawing, starting well, playing in big games and away from home are just some of the problems. And I don't think there's been a better time to play Man City. Now, we need to respect that because, you know, City have started the season a bit shaky. They've had the international break. They wanna, gonna, they're going to want to hit back. They're going to be seeking vengeance. You know, there's question marks over them. When you're backed in the wall, you either turn around and fight or you curl up. And I think Pep Guardiola wants to wants to fight there's question marks over him as well as well as collectively you know I, i'm questioning the players do i you know i don't think arsenal have any divine right to win but i think to have any chance i don't think we should go there and sit back i think we obviously be sensible but have a goal don't just respect them and say they've won leagues they're you know they're top class players have a goal you look at leeds and leicester in both of those games in the first 20 minutes both teams could have been put out of it by man city man city didn't take their chances and that's something pep's probably banging home to the boys but they didn't take their chances but specific to the two oppositions they faced they sat back and sat back and soaked up the pressure and there was heart and mouth moments and they were clinging on but at some point for me it came at half time for the for the leeds one and i can't remember the leicester one but they stopped sitting back they thought about the football they can play and leicester put them to the sword leeds you know pep was scared Pep brought on how many defensive... When last did you see a game at 1-1, Pep versus a newly promoted side, and he's bringing on Ake and all these defensive choices? He knew a point at Ellen Road was a good thing because they very well could have lost that. So it's, And that, that proves you, you know, you need to try. I've seen, you know, Leicester... I'm sorry, City had to work very hard to lose against Leicester. They had to work very hard to draw against Leeds, you know. We made them... They won 3-0 after the restart against us. And that was the easiest three goals they've probably scored. So let's have a go. It's all about the credibility and performance. I want. We don't shoot enough. I want to see us bloody shoot in this game. You know, I want to see us bloody shoot. Oh, it's question marks. Because it's the first time where people expect us to lose. There isn't too much question marks on us if we lose necessarily. All of them are going to be at, on Pep. You know, Pep's... 
We're all questioning him. I've been saying it. I rate him as a manager, but he needs to put respect on his name. You know, use this to your advantage. You know, there's no, not that on the best of days, there's hardly any fans in the Etihad. You know, with it, with hardly any fans being there, you know, it's even better for Arsenal. You know, we need to improve our waveform. I hope Aubameyang gets back to goal scoring because, you know, I think he's never gone more than four without scoring. And I think he's approaching that, if not already. You know, since he signed his new deal, he ain't scored. So, you know, big man. Patting up City again for us. Not that I'm questioning him. You know, I want to win, but it's going to be a fantastic clash. And it is one of them gut-wrenching ones that you wish didn't come in it. But you know you've got to play these two teams twice. You know, we've got Liverpool once out of the way. Let's go and get one game against City out of the way. And on a serious note, I want to beat them in the league, people. Because you look at it. Like I said, we've got to go into games like this and get a positive result. If you want to get top four, put more of a fight into top four. Apparently, Man City are unbeaten in their last nine Premier League meetings with Arsenal, drawing two and winning seven since obviously losing in 2015. They've scored at least twice in all nine of these games, people. Arsenal have lost their last six meetings with Man City, shipping three goals in five of, of those six games. They last had a longer losing run against opponent in the league versus Ipswich in 1974-1977. So again, negative history. Go and put it right. You know, Arsenal have won just one of their last nine away league games against Manchester City. They've lost all four at the Etihad against Pep Guardiola. Negative statistics that you should endeavour to go and put right. This is the third. This is the third of the of the four Premier League meeting Premier League games this season that Man City are starting a day in the bottom half of the table. As many as their previous 375 matches in the competition. Man City have won just four points from their three league games this season. Their lowest total at this stage since 2010-11. Meaning only twice in their league history have the citizens lost both of their opening league home games in a season. So hopefully Arsenal will do the thing. But that's that in relation to, you know, pre-game and whatnot. You know, I know there's, I think it's the deadline day for domestic transfers and you're seeing a lot. You're seeing, you're hearing Harry Wilson could be going to Swansea or Cardiff. Casey Palmer could be going to Swansea. Joe Rondon, Rodon, I can't say his name. Swansea could be making a move. I'm actually not sure if Ben Rama's deal has been completed, but we're led to believe that that is done. There's a lot of things, people. But in relation to the transfer speculation, just general ones, apparently Chelsea were keen on a move for AC Milan's it Italy keeper, Donnarumma before signing Mendy and could still try to tempt him to Stamford Bridge when his contract expires next summer. Dortmund are not prepared to sell 20-year-old winger Jadon Sanjo um, in January. Harry Maguire will not ask manager for a break. He'll not ask his manager Oli Golasolsha for a break despite the difficult start to the season. De Abala, Paolo Dybala is of interest um, to Chelsea, who you've seen apparent, apparently they want to go for Haaland in, in January or when he becomes available. Paul Torres of Villarreal, you know, the Villarreal and Spanish international defender, again is linked with Arsenal and Man United. And the Express, the Daily Express, claims Arsenal want to beat Manchester United to the £35 million signing of the 23-year-old in January. Um, Yannick Balassi is apparently closing in on a loan switch to Middlesbrough loan from Everton. Swansea won £18 million from Spurs for 22-year-old um, Wales centre-half Joe Rodon. Manchester United midfielder Bruno Fernandes has denied criticising manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his teammates when they were thrashed 6-1 against Spurs. And I'm sure a lot of you all saw, apparently there was a bust-up that led to him being substituted at half-time. Um, Wayne Rooney's been linked with replacing Derby's manager outright as well, but their manager has distanced 
well, their owner Mel Morris has distanced claims Philip Koku will get the sack. Um, and that's there's not really much more in terms of transfers and whatnot. So that's all I have, people. But we've been here for 46 minutes or so. I'm happy that the Premier League's back. I'm even happier that you guys have taken the time to take this in. Please make sure you know, however you're listening to this, you make sure you hit the follow button on, on Spotify. You make sure you like it on YouTube. You make sure you're supporting across all socials. You know, all the links to my socials are in the description. All the information you require is there. It's been a fantastic podcast, people. I'll probably be back on the Monday. In fact, let me not lie, Tuesday morning we go again when all the Monday games are are, are finished um, and whatnot, you know, typically on a Tuesday and a Friday, I do this little podcast thing. So make sure you put that in your diary or you set a reminder that you're always looking out for such. But it's been a fantastic time speaking with you lot, people. I'm going to keep it moving, though. If you ain't had enough of me, check out my YouTube videos or my written content. Links again are in the bio. DG, I'm out.